Welcome to Politics and Right on KPFT. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We have a very special program for you today. Andy Schmuckler, PhD, will discuss his run for uh, Congress in Virginia, a very red district, and Patrick Lavelle will discuss the great con. But folks, we are going to have these two very good interviews immediately. Thereafter, please remember that we are in fun drive mode and we do need your support. So as we start this, uh, these two interviews, please remember to give us a call at 713-526-5738 and support the program. Ensure that we can continue doing this type of programming, this type of activist journalism that really keeps people informed. But without further ado, here we go with Patrick Lavelle. Welcome to our continuing series, The Con. And our protagonist, as usual, is a producer, director, and everything with regards to the con, the one and only Patrick Lovell. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Quick caveat, uh, wasn't the director, my companion was, but I am the protagonist and otherwise known as the producer. The producer. There we go. Well, uh, mission corrected. And for the director who heard that, I'm not scratching it because we like a little bit of errors here and there. Anyhow, folks, today's episode is titled, Let's Deconstruct what is, uh, what is Versus What We Think Is. Are we a democracy? Does our economy function as a capitalist engine? Um, I want you guys, to, before we get started, to take a look at this video, and then we'll get back. After the Great Depression, we actually look at what caused the problems and we actually moved to fix them. At that point, even though FDR had actually been opposed to deposit insurance, he took the bold step of creating uh, deposit insurance. And that stopped these kinds of destructive runs and gave people confidence that they could actually put their money in the bank like you're supposed to, save over 10 years, get enough money for a down payment, and buy your home. Glass-Steagall adopted as part of that same uh, legislation, and they create the Securities and Exchange Commission, again, to give people confidence that they can do the things we're told to do, invest, right, in a diversified portfolio, all that good type of stuff. Well, that makes sense if it's an honest system. If it's dishonest, why would I put my money in that kind of system. In other words, when we stop the crooks, we make capitalism work. And only when we stop the crooks. And I'm not saying that regulation is always good or that more regulation is always the answer. It's not, ideology would suggest that you are either in favor of regulation or you're against regulation. Well, what if you're just in favor of smart regulation, better regulation, the most rational regulation possible? Where does that put you? I would suggest that at that point, you're making evidentiary-based decisions about what works the best rather than ideological decisions, more regulation, less regulation, which really doesn't make sense when you think about it. So to me, capitalism and smart regulation go hand in hand. You need them both. And one without the other, I, I just don't think it works. When somebody can make a loan to somebody knowing and that that loan is not, when it resets, when that adjustable rate comes in, 
they're not going to be able to afford this. But I will have gotten my fee as the lender or the broker. And I don't care what happens to this person. And, and that there's nobody in the government who's going to take a look at that and say, oh, no, you can't do that to people. Because independent mortgage companies had almost no regulation over them. So this is what you get when you have no regulation. The institution should not be able to gouge you. They should not be able to con you. They should not be able to cheat you. And if they do, that we have institutions within the government that ensure that those people pay for it. Honesty is good business. Rule of law makes honesty something can, that can actually prevail in a marketplace. Absent the rule of law and vigorous prosecutors and regulators, the cheaters will prosper. The financial system where Wall Street is kind of at the top is supposed to be a, a support structure for the real economy. It's supposed to provide financing for individuals who want to buy a home or for anybody who wants to start a company, grow a company, whether it's the corner store or whether it's, you know, Caterpillar or Boeing, right? Starting in the 80s and really taking off in the 1990s, finance really started focusing on enriching itself, much more so than lending to the real economy. And the game was to get the biggest bonus as fast as possible. And that, that is hard to do when you're just lending to people to get mortgages to buy a home or for somebody to start a small business or build a small business. It's even hard to make that kind of money when you're lending and financing medium and large businesses. But trading complex derivatives, now there, there's some money in that. And mainly the trading and investment operations of the banks, as opposed to the lending operations of the banks, basically took over the business model and focus of the two big to fail banks, the biggest banks in the world, even though they did not contribute much to the economy. In fact, most of it was socially useless. John Kay, an economist in London, wrote a book called Other People's Money. And in it, he talks about how, by his calculation and others, Goldman Sachs, by the time of the crash in 2008, less than 10% of the activities of Goldman Sachs actually related to financing activities in the real economy. Well, why is the U.S. taxpayer in the government backing and supporting gigantic, fragile financial institutions engaged in incredibly high-risk and dangerous activities that are largely directed to enriching thousands of bankers who are already filthy rich, for the most part, as opposed to supporting banks that lend to the real economy, that allow people to save and build up nest eggs for retirement or for a home or to put their kids through college or to finance the pharmacy, the small business, the good idea. That's why the banking system exists, to service the real economy not to be a parasite on the real economy to enrich themselves. And in fact, one of the most telling uh, statistics is in 2007-ish, somewhere in there, uh, the corporate profits of the financial sector in the United States was 40% of all corporate profits. So think about that. The support part of the entire economy was consuming 40% of the total profits. Well, that's a completely unbalanced financial system 
that's lost its way and is no longer focused on the real economy, which is what America is supposed to be all about. That's what creates economic growth. That's what creates jobs. That's what actually causes wages to go up. That's what enables people to have a higher standard of living and to achieve the American dream. Home ownership, your kids are going to do better than you, they get to go to college. That's what's supposed to happen as a result of the real economy being properly supported by the financial sector. And that was completely gone by and large by 2000, the 2008 crash. I want to ask you so kindly, please give us a call at 713-526-5738. Hit extension number one to provide whatever contribution you can for the program to ensure that we can continue doing what we're doing right here. Remember, you can also go to kpft.org. Again, that is kpft.org and contribute whatever you can, $40 for a membership to vote throughout the Pacifica Network, KPFT, etc. A $100 donation will give you a Politics Done Right t-shirt that has the KPFT logo on it. And of course, it allows you to vote in, in the membership as well. Or if you want to go ahead and spend some time with me for a cup of coffee, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. It's a $250 contribution. And we will be able to go sit down and talk some politics and talk whatever you want to talk about. Again, 713-526-5738, extension 1 to give a contribution or go to kpft.org. Do remember to select or say that this contribution is to support politics done right. Patrick, are we a democracy for real? Far from it. Um, you live in the great state of Texas. How would yes. you describe the state of affairs in Texas these days? It's horrendous. We have a, 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 a legislature that cares nothing about the people we have people even as we have insurance that everybody should have access to they're being denied doesn't seem like a democracy to me especially since it was democratically passed you know recently i've been spending a lot of time kind of re conceptualizing if you will um the last hundred years of american history mm -hmm. and you know i'll just stay off the top you know whatever this era is is a far cry from what the united states has been minus a lot of incredibly hor horrific eras that we've had to overcome mm -hmm. in terms of actual, I'd say, awareness of the way things are at this in this era, given the amount of information that exists, it's incredible how many people actually feign belief that we that democracy is still hanging on by a thread. The way I frame it, Egberto, is no, we are not a democracy. Uh, not even remotely close to a democracy, but it's even more diabolical than that. The way I frame it, Eric Berto, is we're a corporate fascist state undergirded by a criminal syndicate. And in your video, you describe, uh, in that video, people saw things like derivatives and people may say, what the hell does derivatives have anything to do with, let's say, our capitalist structure and our democracy? We're tying all of this together. But I want it to be a bit uh, provocative in the beginning by just talking about democracy so tell us about what we thought something was and what it actually is well i think you just look straight forward to the actions of our government if the government were actually following the trajectory of what most people in this country um are interested in or support the country would look a lot different in terms of its decisions so what we have is an inverted perverse 
I think that's it. Inverted and perverse sort of relationship to power to where, and it may in some people's estimation have always been this way, but I can tell you it is this way in this modern era. It's government for the minority, which is ultimately of by and for the corporation. And who is the corporate corporation is the question. And there are hierarchies within that sort of framing, but most of it follows what fuels everything in this country, which of course is capital, not necessarily to be construed, although many do it, as do you and many others, and justifiably so with a minor caveat, which is really the ultimate reveal. Capitalism, in many ways, capital fuels whatever the situation is. It comes down to policy. It comes down to structure. It comes down to integrity of systems or lack thereof, and ultimately how they perform. And therein lies the, the, the answer, Egberto. Now, um, you, you mentioned that we, we are supposedly a capitalist engine, but uh, from, your, your, your pre, from the previous video that I showed, it's interesting because it turns out that these guys who are the bastions of capitalism are simply moving paper. They're, move, they're creating these instruments that, as you mentioned in the video, does nothing for society. It simply moves money around. They get to profit off of these things like derivatives and other money instruments but does nothing for the economy. Is that really all capitalism is? Well, the answer to me is it's a more direct uh, correlation is to call it casino capitalism mm -hmm. or late stage capitalism, which is actually not- Explain that, late stage capitalism. You know, it depends on who you read and, and, and I'm not an expert in Marx and nor am I an expert in certain other sorts of projected socialist sort of framings of what that particular stage is. But what I have read, especially from Marx, does align perfectly with where we are. So we've known over the last 50 years, we've created a neoliberal scenario based on globalization, based on supposedly efficiencies. Now, capitalism is definitely about efficiency, supposedly. But what we did when you farm out the golden goose, which is the production capacity to produce what we consume, and then you farm it out for a whole variety of reasons, which is supposedly efficiency and getting cost um, protectionism. I don't know about protectionism, protectionism so, mu so much, but cost, low cost for the most for the most consumer. What you've done is you've thrown out the baby with with the bathwater, and you don't have a dynamic economy anymore. And so what we replaced that with was the facade, which you've said so importantly, and of course, at the beginning of this, with that particular uh, link that we showed, fraud. Wall Street's business model is fraud. So the question becomes, if you don't have a consumer society predicated on income, how then can you somehow manifest a massive debt society that supposedly is underwritten correctly presumably on all of the different underwriting standards that would project and determine the debt-based society. You can't. That's where it becomes a facade because you're not in equilibrium, you're not in balance, and in, in, the, in the vacuum Arts of that, fall. then you have to create the facade, which is created by fraud. Now, it's interesting because uh, last time we spoke, we spoke about the fallacy of infinite productivity. In other words, infinite growth. You know, uh, 
I mean, uh, you, there's no, there's no room. I mean, there's steady, there's steady state income accumulation, but then there's also uh, this belief. If you look at the stock market, one of the reasons stock prices never correlate with the actual values of a corporation or whatever is they're looking at future value and the future value assumes uh, next to infinite growth. Impossible. I always tell people that if you want to, if you want to learn why the economic system is a fraud, realize that if you have a pie, and you have uh, a, a, a piece of that pie is growing at 7%, and another piece of that pie is growing at, at uh, 2%. That pie remains a circle. That means that that 7%, uh, as, you as, the deriv as you do the derivative, that pie is going to eat up the entire space, the, the, the one growing at 7%. And when I thought you were going to say, when you mentioned late state capitalism, that is exactly what uh, that is exactly what we envision here as late state capitalism, where we've we've grown. One side has grown so far that it has eaten the rest, which is what you manifest in much of what you um, what you display. But the ultimate reveal is, to your point initially, and what Bernie Sanders had conjured many years ago, especially during the 2016 presidential campaign, where he famously said in front of the world with absolutely zero follow-up, and actually zero follow-up from him in terms of the details, which I'm about to reveal to you and your audience, was when he said Wall Street's business model is fraud, predicated on what we're talking about. Right. But ultimately, this all disseminates from information we've known at least since the 90s, 80s, in terms of the savings and loan debacle, and what at that time our agencies and our institutions in uh, legal enforcement did to ferret out what created those problems. They all emanate from what's known as control fraud. So as we show you in this next video, the idea is that CEOs be are able to encapsulate themselves in their management cloistered with their own um, board of directors that they handpick. Then they create a model based on modern executive compensation, which is to create the next quarter's profits. Now, to do so in a bank or in a financial scenario, you've got to broaden the scope of the box of lending mechanisms to be able to provide more loans. So what you have to do are four things within the control fraud model. A, You've got to be able to uh, grow like crazy. The numbers that we saw during the SNL crisis and then ultimately during the 2008 great financial crisis with these financial financial behemoths was they would grow somewhere in the vicinity of 100 to 500 percent during a quarter. Absolutely unprecedented numbers that were against any sort of corollary uh, logically in terms of actual consumption. That's first and foremost. Well, well how would you do that? Well, you got to make a lot of really, really bad loans. Well, how do you make bad loans? Well, you create what we call Gresham's dynamic to where you get rid of the underwriting standards and you create a larger sort of component to where more people could potentially borrow, but eventually you throw out the entire underwriting standards because of the magnitude of growing like crazy. How do you do that? Well, you've got to do it with over leverage. So the numbers that we saw during the great financial crisis, for example, in places like Goldman Sachs and then uh, Chase and everywhere else, we saw unprecedented leverage where the, rate, the, the leverage ratio, in, uh, ratio was like 40 to 1 in the lending. And then ultimately, you have minimum, minimum 
buffer zones in terms of your actual capital. So what does that lead to? Well, it leads to three sure things, Egberto and your audience. It leads to A, they're going to report record profits. B, the CEO and the board is going to get wildly successfully rich. And third, they're going to destroy the institution. So ultimately, what we kind of what we do as a misnomer throughout uh, American society, because no one in media grasps these very fundamental, detailed aspects of what is a criminologist state of affairs, is to understand who did what, when and how. Now, interestingly enough, we threw out journalism too. ask yourself where in The New York Times are they revealing this? Where in The Washington Post or even the Houston uh, Chronicle or Post, for that matter, if it still exists and ultimately how are they revealing what becomes this criminal enterprise, which we used to do within criminal referrals? They don't. And then ultimately what happens when the whole thing blows up? Who's investigating to find out what happened, Egberto? The same people that once worked for Wall Street. Revolving door. Revolving door, yeah. That's right. So ultimately that then again brings full circle what I said at the outset of today's dialogue. In my estimation, the way I define it is it's corporate fascism undergirded by a criminal syndicate, and that's not hyperbole. What it means in the end of the day is it's theft, it's legalized theft, and that's one side of the rhetorical three-level stool that has created the corruption of everything that exists in power. Now, uh, uh, on today we pretty much covered a lot of this on the on the high level. Our next uh, episode will cover it more on a personal level as far as how do people get conned so you're going to describe how the con actually work on the personal level because this is high level the guys in the in, in the big offices they have the big picture of the big fraud but the fraud has to be executed one borrower at a time one one small person at a time and that's what we're going to go over at the next time patrick Thank you so kindly for having been here on Politics Done Right. Onwards and upwards, my friends. I look forward to the next version, the next um, episode. Episode. I want to ask you so kindly, please give us a call at 713-526-5738. Hit extension number one to provide whatever contribution you can for the program to ensure that we can continue doing what we're doing right here. Remember, you can also go to kpft.org. Again, that is kpft.org and contribute whatever you can, $40 for a membership to vote throughout the Pacifica Network, KPFT, etc. A $100 donation will give you a Politics Done Right t-shirt that has the KPFT logo on it. And of course, it allows you to vote in, in the membership as well. Or if you want to go ahead and spend some time with me for a cup of coffee, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. It's a $250 contribution. And we will be able to go sit down and talk some politics and talk whatever you want to talk about. Again, 713-526-5738, extension 1 to give a contribution or go to kpft.org. Do remember to select or say that this contribution is to support politics done right. We are continuing with a better human story with its creator, its writer, its producer, Andy Schmuckler. Andy Schmuckler, who is a prize-winning author from the and the former Democratic candidate for Congress in Virginia. It's very rich, Shenandoah Valley, and hey, Kuma, La Kuma, how do you say that? 
Summa, Summa Cum Laude, graduate of Harvard University, a PhD awarded with distinction in a program specially created to accommodate his original theory explaining how civilization has developed and a frequent columnist in newspapers around the United States. Welcome once again to continue our long-running series, A Better Human Story. How are you doing today, Senior? I'm fine. I'm fine. Looking forward to this as usual. Well, we are going to take a step back today because um, I want people to see the type of person, how you jumped into the fold, into the political fold, that is, I think it's probably 10 years ago or so. 2011, uh, I became a candidate for Congress. For Congress. So what I want to start, the way I want to start, I want you guys to listen to uh, Andy Schmuckler, Andrew Schmuckler, of 12 years ago. Or maybe, is it, yeah, 12 years well, ago. Well, yeah. Next candidate is Andy Schmuckler for Congress. He's making his way up. His name is Truth. For change. So what's at stake in these contests we have at the national level? Will it be Barack Obama or Mitt Romney? Will it be Tim Kaine or George Allen? Will it be me or Bob Goodlatte? Well, it would be nice to say it would be, it's just a matter of will the better man win? That would certainly do well for all of us, I think. <laughs> but I, it's a lot bigger than that. It'd be nice if we could also say, it's a matter of will we have liberal solutions to our nation's problems or conservative solutions to our nation's problems? Oh, I wish it were the, if the, I wish that were the case, but it's not. This Republican Party that we have now is not our father's Republican Party. It is neither conservative nor interested in dealing with our problems. This is a party which has become unlike anything we've ever seen at center stage of American politics. We have to recognize that we're dealing with something which is different from what we're used to, which is showing a dark and sick and broken spirit that has taken over a once great party. broken spirit and various patterns that I've been spending my last eight years observing. It is a spirit which is never, is, never has enough of either wealth or power, even though we have the greatest income inequality that we've had in living memory. This force is working to widen that gap still further with the Ryan budget that Bob Goodlatte has voted for, with Mitt Romney's tax proposals. All of them take from average Americans to give to those who already have the most. Even though we have a political system that's already been, been warped away from that one person, one vote, this court, this force has given us a Supreme Court that's handed down that disgraceful decision in Brick Citizens United, putting our government up for auction. All men are created equals getting swamped by the almighty dollar. This is a force that makes a fight over, over everything. When Barack Obama tried to reinstitute Cooperation is the dynamic in our political system by proposing Republican ideas as a solution to genuine American problems. All of a sudden, what they had proposed as crap and trade became socialism. What they had proposed as an individual mandate became unconstitutional. What they had proposed became called death panels. This is a force which is 
appealing always to the worst in people, not feeding our faith, hope, and love, but feeding our hatreds and fears. And it's a force which is consistently dishonest. All of its communications are coming from someplace other than something that is genuine in trying to impart something to other people that they themselves deeply believe. And that is their Achilles heel, because the only way a force like this can have power is by deceiving people into believing that they are something that they are not. Which is why what brings me here unexpectedly in my life cycle to be a political candidate for public office. When I was 15, my dad told me why I was not cut out to be a politician. <laughs> dad said, you're too straightforward. You insist on saying what you really think. And that's not how politics works. <laughs> and I saw that he was right. That was 50 years ago. And in those 50 years, I have sought the truth about what it is, why it is that some societies serve their people well, while other societies hurt them. And in all those 50 years, I never thought I would run for political office. Until now. Now the dishonesty in our politics has become so bad, and the lies from this gang that's hijacked the Republican Party are so often defeating the truth, that I figure now is the time for someone like me to, to the truth-telling needs its champions. And that's why I'm running to replace Bob Goodlatte. Sixth District that we can that, that is, needs to be done on a national basis, which is to expose to the good, decent, conservative people of our country, of our district, that the force that they're supporting is not the friend of their own deep values. It is not conservative, and we can see that by the way they trample on our political traditions, like on the debt ceiling, which we don't deal with that way, like the filibuster that we do not use that way. A conservative understands you don't just sweep your traditions aside. You honor them. You protect them. They're there for a reason. But not this group. They're not conservative. They're not patriotic. We now know that even before President Obama was inaugurated, they met together to say, we're going to make this president fail. And I, I don't think there's been a single time that an opposition party has made that their priority, but especially at a time of national crisis, when we had two wars that they had botched, when we had a healthcare crisis that was bankrupting us from the federal government through the businesses of families, but especially at a time when the whole American economy and the global economy were on the edge of an abyss, you don't want the president to fail if you're a patriot. If the president fails, we only got one of them at a time, the country fails, and tens of millions of Americans suffering, no real patriot would ever want to do that. that in Ryan's speech last week. You can see it in every utterance. I can see it in the emails I get from Bob Goodlack. They pretend to be one thing, they are another. The truth is our weapon. Let's go fight that battle and win. Andy, 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 that was your first, uh, your first video, I think, that went viral. And it went viral at just the right time. Tell us a little, little bit about what got you into, first of all, deciding to run for Congress? 
Well, I had um, I had been watching the dark force taking over the uh, Republican Party. Um, you could go back to the early '90s, and I was watching Rush Limbaugh poison people's minds, and 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 that's what led me to do radio out here in the Shenandoah Valley, which uh, I love doing. But we talked about that before. But then uh, in 2004. I saw something bigger and deeper, and we've talked about that. I I, I saw, well, we, we talked about evil, you know. Uh, we don't have to go there, but I saw that in 2004. And I, when Barack Obama was elected, I was so thrilled. I really felt that the country had been saved. I, I love the guy, but... Um, he really had no clue about what he was dealing with. And um, uh, there's just stories. I, 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 I sent him uh, through through the Baltimore Sun an open letter to Obama telling him he had to fight the fight he was elected to fight, not forfeit it. But anyway, so in 2010, uh, I went to, to vote. Um, in the, in the midterms, and, and and my representative, Republican Bob Goodlatte, was running unopposed. I I sort of registered that. Well, what a waste of a platform! You know, you're not going to win out here. I mean, it's just not in the cards. But you can get attention. But why didn't anybody step up? But I wasn't right. thinking. I wasn't thinking about me. Uh, in, in that speech, I say my father indicated why I wasn't cut out to be a politician. Yeah, he so, said that you're too straightforward. You came too much to the point. You say what you really think, and that's not the way politics works, you know. So I wasn't going to run. But um, then the next thing that happened was that in the lame duck section and session of Congress in 2010, I thought that Obama. Well, let me just say I concluded he is not going to do what needs to be done. He's not going to say what needs to be said. So, well, if he wasn't going to do it, and the Democrats in general have been lousy, were, were lousy at it at that time, not anymore. Finally, as fascism is practically knocking at the gates, the Democrats are now speaking the way they needed to be speaking a long time ago. But anyway. I figure, well, why don't I step in? You know, there's, there's an empty platform there. So that's how come I decided to do it. And and that is great. What I what I liked about the way you spoke in the video that we just showed there is you enumerated not only the hypocrisy, because we talk about the hypocrisy of the, the, the Republican Party all of the times. Yes, all parties have their level of hypocrisy. But there was this level of hypocrisy that you showed uh, in the past, supporting responsibility, now not supporting responsibility with the Affordable Care Act having a mandate. You spoke about um, all these things that Republicans used to be for. And Obama, instead of an, adapting, let's say, a progressive way to accomplish things, he chose their method. The Affordable Care Act was a Republican he, bill. He, he, he. He's such a conciliator right. that, that he thought that um, 
we can get this done in a way that brings Americans together. And so he, he, it, with respect to climate change, it was cap and trade. Right. But all that was worthy. The thing is, they weren't interested in working with him to achieve things. And that became clear. Oh, I, I think, I, I think I started writing about it in early April and he'd been inaugurated in January. It was already clear and he never seemed to get it. I, I don't understand that, you know, so I wonder if he didn't get it or he just thought he could get past it. The, interestingly, McConnell said, I, I think at the same time he was being inaugurated, he said his singular purpose was to ensure that uh, President Obama was a one term president. That came right out of the mouth of McConnell. And we yeah. have it on tape, you know. So, I mean, I, I don't know where Obama was as far as well. He just yeah, hoped we, he could we, get we don't, the important thing, I think, to stress is you know, in terms of why I was running. Yeah, I, I, my, my business has been the truth, the pursuit of the truth, find things that are true and important and not widely recognized and, and put them out as best I can. Right. Whether it's on the radio or an op-ed piece or a book. I mean, that's what I've devoted myself to. And here was this, this political party that was patently fraudulent, that was dealing in in lies and lacked integrity and, and and it wasn't being told to the american people that this is what it is the reason it was gaining in power was because the power arrayed against it the democratic party seemed clueless and we don't have to go into obama but anyway I, in, in that speech i say the lie is so often defeating the truth that now is the time that truth telling needs its champion. And, and so I, I jumped in to try to expose in this very red area just what the people were supporting, which was something quite different from what they were being sold. Now, let me ask you something, doctor. And, and I, 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 I go back and forth a whole lot. And, and let me set it up this way. After we've had four years of Donald Trump as president of the United States, and everybody got a chance to see exactly who this person was, the evil that that reigned within his psyche and his and following. See also, just what the Republican Party was, the, the two go together. Right. After that, if, after that reality. And, you know, I, I it, it, it keeps me this one keeps me awake at night. Well, I'm sorry. And and it, and it goes this way. He garnered an additional seven million votes. And let me qualify that a bit. Donald you Trump. Se 70 million. No, what, no, what I'm saying and what I'm saying, he got let's say he got 63 million or, or, or however million he oh, got. I, I see. He he increased the number. He of increased people. by seven million. And and imagine Joe Biden now is the president that has received the most vote in America proper. And and, all that and, means is that everybody was very keyed up for the 2020. I, I get it. But it's scary to note that. Had we just maintained Hillary Clinton's winning number, which she won in 2016, oh, yeah. she would have lost. Yeah, it's. I mean, we got to look at these things in terms of percentages. But in, in you know the, the the alarming thing is that um, in 2020, 
Something like, uh, what, 48 percent of uh, American voters voted for Donald Trump. Right. And, and that brings up, I don't know if you want to go there or not, but one, one, I mean, I'm very proud of that speech. Uh, you know, it's nice. No, to no, that, that's I, th- but, that's the key of the speech. I'm trying to say but, your speech but, but, spoke but, about, but, hold on a second, your speech spoke about two important pieces. You spoke about the evil you didn't uh, the evil and brokenness of the American society. You alluded to that in the speech. Mm. And then you actually brought out the known hypocrisy of the party. And then we and you and I always talk about the inherent goodness of m- most people. How did we garner that percentage of the electorate? Yeah, that, uh, what I wanted to say is there's a place in that speech where I expose that I don't understand something. I I believed something when I gave that speech that um, that turned out not to be nearly as true as I thought. See, I fell in love with the conservatives of this area back in the 90s when I was doing radio shows. Mm-hmm. So I had a real attachment. I had been exposed to some of the beauties I mean, in in a healthy society, the conservative side of things and the liberal side of things will be in some sense equally filled with virtue and equally filled with defects. I got a chance to see the the virtues of conservatism, and I appreciated it. So in that speech, I say, we've got to go out there in this district and in in the nation and help these good, decent conservatives realize that this Republican Party is not the friend of their own deep values. Well, what I've discovered is I, I do believe it's that they do hold those values. I experienced that. But I misunderstood what it would take to bring them back to aligning themselves with those values that they declare. I don't understand this. And we've talked about this last time we, we, we spoke. I, you know, if, if you're a, if you believe in good Christian values, how can you embrace a leader and a political party that are just the opposite of what Jesus preached. If you're if you love the Constitution like these people do, you know, like the you know, that the people they're appealing to when they walk the Republicans walk around in Congress, you know, holding these uh, you know having these little booklets of the Constitution in their pocket. If you believe in the Constitution, if you revere it, how can you possibly? Align yourself with a political party that's right in front of our eyes assaulted the whole constitutional order. And, and I could go on with, the, with other things about conservative values that are directly opposed by the force that they support in the political arena. And when I gave that speech, I thought if I could just, you know, reach these people with a, with a clear message and, and show them the truth. You know, that Bob Goodlatte and the the tip as typical of the Republicans of that time and still was really not. He he was talking. He was getting voters to believe that he was about something different from what he was about. You know, we saw what he he, he's a he's a party hack for a party that had gone over to the dark side. So now I want to ask you so kindly, please give us a call at 713-526. 
5738. Hit extension number one to provide whatever contribution you can for the program to ensure that we can continue doing what we're doing right here. Remember, you can also go to kpft.org. Again, that is kpft.org and contribute whatever you can, $40 for a membership to vote throughout the Pacifica Network, KPFT, etc. A $100 donation will give you a Politics Done Right t-shirt that has the KPFT logo on it. And of course, it allows you to vote in, in the membership as well. Or if you want to go ahead and spend some time with me for a cup of coffee, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. It's a $250 contribution. And we will be able to go sit down and talk some politics and talk whatever you want to talk about. Again, 713-526-5738, extension 1 to give a contribution or go to kpft.org. Do remember to select or say that this contribution is to support politics done right. Um, you said uh, you misunderstood. And I wonder if it is that you, I, I, first of all, I don't think you misunderstood at all. You said something there when you talk about uh, working with conservatives, seeing the value in conservatives and liberals. I always... I've done some uh, living room conversation. Uh, there's a group called Living Room Conversations where you sit down and people from different sides of the aisle get together and they have a civil conversation. And one of the questions they asked me from around the, the other table is, why is it that you uh, engage conservatives? And I said, because I need them. And they said, why do you need them? I say, I need them because I need to, I need to backstop my thought process. I need to be sure that I want to hear all the spears coming at my thought process so that if I need modification, they would pro provide that assistance in, in stress testing my beliefs. Mm. And, and then uh, they agreed. All The conservatives agreed with that statement. The progressives agreed with that statement. But the thing that, and I think you agree with that statement based on what you said, but, Can I but, there is this stuff called extend existentialism. Existent. If you believe you are in ex, uh, your existential nature is at at uh, in jeopardy. If your existence is in jeopardy, the things that you would do uh, defies your own morals. Your thoughts. Well, when I when I did my radio show, I would introduce it by saying, let's talk with each other in a spirit of genuine inquiry and mutual respect. Right. As if we might actually learn something from each other. And I had a wonderful time doing that with conservative, traditional, fundamentalist, you know, Republican, right. Confederate. You know? <laughs> uh, something changed. Um, I, I, I admire that you can sit down with the conservatives and and if you're getting from them something that's useful to you in terms of like what you were saying that help you develop your your own understanding coming up against opposing points of view, you know, that's what that's what I was trying to do in the 1990s. I can't do that now. I have no interest in doing that now because because what's happened between the 1990s to the conservative mind is something quite profound and 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 uh I, i've got no patience you know i found 
as time went by, it became impossible to have a constructive conversation, at least on my terms. I, you know, okay. I mean, we liberals like to say, well, you know, they don't necessarily see the same thing as we see. So, you know, nobody's got a monopoly on the truth. I'm not willing to deal with this set of issues today in, in those terms. I, I, I know some things and they are diluted in some ways. And I have found that there is no constructive conversation to be had in a dialogue form. So I have reverted, uh, you know, the dialogue form that I loved in the 1990s. Now I'm in monologue form. I put out a piece every week uh, in the newspapers, which is an attempt uh, to, to challenge them. I, I'm not saying I'm accomplishing anything. Maybe I am. I wouldn't know either way, because in that subculture, if you start to think, yeah, maybe this guy's right, you're not going to say anything publicly. You know, there's no there's no tolerance in that side for any kind of heretic, you know, but uh, I, I I actually have doubts that I'm having any effect. I want to but interrupt you right there because I, I want to caution you for one thing. No, you are having an effect. Um, uh, I don't remember how remember how I found you actually, but um, it is after reading some of your material that I said that I wanted to get involved with a better human story. But above and beyond that, um, I think it's imp imp imperative that progressive voices, whether you're doing it in monologue form as you are resound to doing it now, or whether you're doing it in dialogue form or any other form, I think uh, like we attack a virus with two different avenues. That's what yeah, we have. To I do. agree. I agree entirely. Uh, I mean, in our previous conversation, uh, I, I said that we were going to have uh, two Republican couples over for dinner. Dear. Right. Yeah. And we had a wonderful time. Oh, they did come. They did. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, a little bit over a week ago. Okay. Everybody had. I mean, it was just fabulous. We did not talk politics. But to to create to have that great human contact is part of part of healing the country. Now, doesn't that tell you something, Doc? Doesn't that tell you something? Well, um, what are you thinking? I mean, it tells me a lot of things, but nothing that contradicts what I was saying before. No, it's not about contradiction okay, here. So it, what, it, what is it? What does it tell it you? It's actually saying that you know, if if uh, if we don't allow externalities to come in to to throw out these differences, you could probably have dinner with that person five times a week and enjoy that person five times a week for for the ninety five percent of things that matter to both of you. I had a piece in the in, in the paper uh, two days ago. Yeah, uh, about, called "Good Propaganda and Evil Propaganda." Right, and, and um, it went into the whole Fox News exposure that's coming right. out of the Dominion suit. And I, I, I defined evil propaganda, and, and I and I lumped what we're seeing about Fox with Lily Riefenstahl's "The Triumph of the Will." But I, I do it deftly, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's evil propaganda. Anyway, the same guy that we had a wonderful time together at dinner, not talking politics, as he often does, came online where my piece was appearing. The newspaper, and, yeah. Yeah, and and gave a, a sort of um, re, not a refutation, but yeah, basically saying, well, you know, the truth lies between two. And then he gave a big quote from the Federalist uh, Society, right? 
Uh, it was garbage. I mean, it was just garbage. And anyway, we had we did have that engagement in public. I responded to what he put on, and uh, I actually wrote him a thousand words publicly, uh, laying it out. So we have the face to face. We're we're making the human contact and 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 feeling very fond of each other. And then in the public sphere. We interact as civil warriors, adversaries. Now, let me ask you, did he respond to your response? Yeah, a bit. And what I got mostly from his brief response was, let's leave it at that. And, and that's actually, believe it or not, when you have a conservative that tells you, let's leave it at that, that is a very positive accomplishment. I want to, I want to ask you. Uh, to go along with the blog here to send me a link to the post that you uh, did in the, that particular post because okay. it's apropos. Okay, uh, make, make myself a note. Now, um, we're we're coming close to the end of this wonderful discussion. And what I'd like you to do for me is uh, give me your thoughts about now that, now that we've revisited your campaign, if you had to give that speech today, what would it sound like, given that you are still or you would still be running in a very red, I guess it's a plus 20 or so red uh, district? Well, is, is the question, what would be my campaign? I mean, this was a big Labor Day banquet where I gave this. Right. Um, so are you saying, let's say it's it's Labor Day 2024. I'm back on the ticket. And, and you want you want your you want that guy that you had dinner with. You well, are soliciting his vote because that's who's going to bring you over the top. Well, you know, that speech was delivered to a Democratic bank. I understand. So that speech was designed um, not to move uh, normal Republican voters. Uh, that speech was designed to mobilize the Democrats to go out there and fight, if not to have me win, at least J Tim Kaine, who was there in the audience, right. and Barack Obama. who is You are going to bring much. in that additional, the Delta within a red county. Absolutely. It, it, it was delivering what I felt was the profoundest way of understanding uh, what was at stake in this election. Right. So how would you do it today in well, front to of a red audience? A red audience. Well, the first of all, I wouldn't get a red audience because they they shut you out. Secondly, that would be a real um, that would be a whole different thing. It wouldn't be a version of that speech. It would um, I, I would probably compose something that spoke to the heart. I, I would probably try to conjure up what's what's beautiful in the conservative culture that I've encountered before. And then draw the contrast with certain concrete things that, that are visible because of what the force that they're supporting is doing. You know, like love thy neighbor as thyself or do unto other, you know, okay. That, or, um, you know, uh, we are a nation of laws and not of men. Um, you know, trying to make, to, to, to present those in such a way that that part of their heart that they've tuned out, the kindles awake. And then 
draw a picture of something, you know, like um, in, in the Bible, uh, King David has sinned um, by sending the husband of uh, of Bathsheba, whom he lusts after, Uriah the the Hittite, off to battle to into to a place where he'll be killed. And the prophet Samuel comes to David, and he tells him a story about a rich man who, in order to entertain a guest, takes not the uh, a lamb from his own large flocks, but steals his poor neighbor's only lamb and serves it to his guest. And David says, that man should be put to death. And the prophet says, thou art the man. Now, I would try to do something like that in sequence of the various values that they hold that would say that man should be put to death and then to show them, you're, so this is what you're supporting. Andy Smokler, thank you so kindly one more time for bringing us your thought process here on Politics Done Right. Thank you. I want to ask you so kindly, please give us a call at 713-526-5738. Hit extension number one to provide whatever contribution you can for the program to ensure that we can continue doing what we're doing right here. Remember, you can also go to kpft.org. Again, that is kpft.org and contribute whatever you can, $40 for a membership to vote throughout the Pacifica Network, KPFT, etc. A $100 donation will give you a Politics Done Right t-shirt that has the KPFT logo on it. And of course, it allows you to vote in, in the membership as well. Or if you want to go ahead and spend some time with me for a cup of coffee, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. It's a $250 contribution, and we will be able to go sit down and talk some politics and talk whatever you want to talk about. Again, 713-526-5738, extension 1, to give a contribution, or go to kpft.org. Do remember to select or say that this contribution is to support politics done right. Thank you so kindly for listening to our two guests. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out!